this. He's the Saber Advisors Audio Experience. Renesis. What's up, buddy? Oh, how are you doing? I'm good. How was that thing last night? It was really cool. I thought we could talk about it today on this platform because it was a very cool use of retail space and a way to activate a neighborhood. So I thought it'd be a great discussion topic for today that would kick us off um, and, you know, be a springboard for all the stuff we could talk about. Awesome. But yeah, it was really cool. Really cool. Yeah, we should have uh, Chris Woods joining us as well uh, from Y7, which I'm excited I about. That I won't take up too much oxygen to talk about the uh, meatpacking thing, but it was very cool idea, very well executed. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. We are all good. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is uh, This Week in Retail with Sabre Advisors. Um, as a reminder, we are recording this room. Uh, we record everything we do because we are content creators and that is what content creators do so don't say anything that you wouldn't want your mother to hear um good morning chris how are you i'm great justin how you doing man i'm doing really well we were uh russ was just catching us up a little bit i want to kind of maybe jump into it quickly and we'll kind of come back but I, I think it's super interesting um russ can you tell us what you were doing last night I absolutely can. Thank you. So last night, um, Jason and I were invited by our friend Jared Epstein, who runs Aurora Capital. And basically, they're the largest landlord or one of the largest landlords in the meatpacking district in New York City. And they were ha- they, they have a number of vacant storefronts, as I'm sure we would all figure, um, especially being in Manhattan. And they wanted to figure out a way to do something cool to activate the neighborhood. He's very into that. He does a lot of things that will activate the neighborhood, whether it's flower shows or et cetera. And he'll donate his buildings to allow certain events to happen. So he was contacted by a large group, theater group from out of Broadway that wanted to kind of bring theater back after the pandemic. And they needed a venue to do it. So they approached Jared and his partners and a couple other landlords down there to see if they would allow them to put on a pop-up performance uh, in the meatpacking district. And they all agreed. And they did this performance called Seven Deadly Sins. And basically it was seven different mini plays that were staged in a storefront, you know, along Gansevoort Street and a few of the other streets. Uh, behind glass and they ha- all the people were there you had headphones on so it was all done through headphones kind of like a silent disco and they walked you through and gave you like history of the meatpacking district and then you would stop at a storefront you'd sit down and then they would give like a 15 minute performance all around you know each one was a different uh sin and it was i mean the performances were awesome and it was very very interesting and very cool but the coolest thing about it was that how it really activated the neighborhood and there was like a lot of buzz going on and there was a ton of people there. Um, And last night was their uh, premiere night. And Jared told me that, so it goes for five weeks, three performances a day. They've already sold almost sold out, uh, you know, in a day. Um, They're thinking about adding more performances, but it was a really, really creative way to kind of, you know, activate and bring people out to the neighborhood and kind of highlight what's going on in the neighborhood and also bring a bunch more culture into the neighborhood. And it was just really, really awesome, amazing idea. Everyone that was there thought it was really, really cool. Uh, And I highly recommend you check it out if you're in New York City, see if you can get tickets. But uh, what a creative way to activate vacant space. I mean, I think it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, I I think... um... I bet some of the other landlords that that own some of the buildings over that direction are are pretty happy with that as well. So good for them. I want to, I want to come back to that door for sure. It was was awesome. No, no, it was, it was just so cool. It was so cool. Like, you know, I didn't, we went into it not knowing really what to expect. Right. But left it, you know, at the end and we're like, that was 
sick. I mean, that was so cool. And every, like everyone for, you know, there was a lot of real estate people there with, for the, you know, the premiere Jared had invited and, you know, we're not theater people, but appreciated. And it was, it was amazing. Amazing. That's really cool. Um, I want to, I do want to come back to that maybe kind of around nine thirty or so, uh, with respect to Chris's time, I wanted to kind of introduce him and talk about some fun stuff with that. But, uh, Chris Woods is up here with us. Uh, Chris is the president and CEO, COO of, uh, Y7 Yoga. Um, for those who are not familiar with Y7, it is a, um, loud music, dark room, hot yoga concept, um, really kind of, uh, I, I think, leading a uh, revolution in what people expect yoga to be. Um, I've spent a lot of time on the phone with Chris over the last year plus, um, kind of getting to know each other, but more importantly, um, trying to figure out how to keep um, Y7 in the best position moving forward, given that, you know, of the 15 studios that they had pre-pandemic, uh, 12 uh, were in New York City, uh, which, you know, obviously was shut down for over a year uh, for boutique fitness and uh, two in L.A. and one in Chicago. So all markets that, that were pretty heavily affected by this. Um, I think without further ado, I, I'd like to say hi to Chris. Maybe, Chris, if you can kind of give a little bit of, um, you know, background on yourself real quick. And then uh, I have some questions I'd like to kind of jump into. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Justin. And thanks for having me. Um I love the uh, I love that the uh, the story from last night, Russell. That's that's just you know further further uh, you know reinvigorates my conviction in in not only New York City but just in in the market more generally for sure. Um, but yeah, a little bit about me. So I'm I'm you know uh, spent some time in the military uh, post uh, West Point and then went into um, you know spent some time in Iraq and and kind of cut my teeth from a managerial leadership perspective uh, with, you know, boots on the ground, literally and figuratively. Uh, went to work at Blackstone for about seven years in their uh, hedge fund solutions um, asset management group. Um, ran the kind of investor relations and biz dev side there for, for a global team. And then and then joined, uh, went to, you know, got the itch from the entrepreneurial side to to kind of go out and, and actually, you know, marry all of those skills together and, and work, uh, you know, more uh, from an operator's perspective. So joined Y7 uh, about two years ago um, as their president and COO, you know, really obviously love to Justin's point, love the concept. Uh, it's a, a, an amazing brand that has, you know, an incredible following, super sticky client base, uh, really strong team. So joined uh, as we were kind of on the upswing um, and really started to hit the gas on growth um, to Justin's point again, 15 locations nationwide, with our kind of, uh, you know, sites set on, on some pretty massive uh, growth and, and whatnot going into, uh, you know, really aggressive 2020. Um, needless to say, those got pretty much sidelined pretty quickly um, without much, um, you know, no, no one could have really forecasted that. Um, so I think, you know, this has been uh, a year of really um, taking a step back and then kind of learning and doing a number of things. One is, is certainly learning to, to let go. Um, and also the other side of that, you know, and that includes everything from having to let go of, you know, 97% of, of my workforce here at Y7, um, which in and of itself was, was just really challenging um, and really heart wrenching, uh, but also letting go of, you know, expectations and a strategic plan that we put a lot of time and effort into. Um, and then obviously letting go of, of some real estate. Um, and I think, a lot of that is for the better. And, and Justin, obviously, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of all of this, but you know, this has been an, an, a way for us to take a step back and, and really kind of uh, objectively look at the business um, from a number of fronts, you know, operational framework, operating model, um, you know, really kind of taking a step away from the mess that is operating a, a high growth boutique fitness um, concept. Um, and, and being able to, uh, you know, do so in a way that, you know, when you're not running 100 miles an hour, just in a, in a normal setting of, of operating a business like this, you're actually able to uh, certain areas of the business that you think you can improve. So that's kind of what we've been doing. And obviously, with a ton of help from from Justin and, and the team, 
um, have able, been able to really kind of find a way um, to survive um, and live to fight another day, which is, which is you know, in, in, the, in, a, in a market that's going to be obviously fundamentally different here in, in the boutique fitness world. Um, you know, the fact that we're able to come out the other side, I think, is a, uh, is a pretty big win and a pretty big, um, you know, sign of how, of how strong that the Sabre team has been in, in helping us get, get through this. Oh, thank, thank you for that. That was um, unnecessary, but but appreciated nonetheless. So thank you. Um, I, I you touched on something that I find super interesting, and I'm gonna um, uh, kind of go off track here a little bit. But I find just generally sort of the psychology of how we make decisions and decision making economics. I find extremely interesting. It's something I I listen to a lot of books on tape about, and find all of that. Um, tremendously helpful uh, in what we do, trying to, you know, understand how people are, are making decisions or why. Um, and you, you touched on the idea of letting go. And I think it's really, um, I don't know, a superpower in a way, right? Like, I, I think your specific ability and the team's ability to kind of get... Give up is a bad word, but I, I think let go of the, like you said, the expectations, let go of the preconceived notions going into that, your your expectations for this amazing growth plan for 2020 and beyond. Um, we as, as people often believe in this, like, I think it's called the sunk cost fallacy. So the idea of I've spent this much time on this so far, I have to see it through, or I've spent so much money on this. I got to fix it or, you know, whatever that, that thing is. And we do that in life, in our personal life, we do that in business. Um, and the idea being that the sooner you're able to sort of cut bait and move on. And I, and think about that analogy even for a second, like literally cutting the line on your fishing pole and starting from scratch somewhere else, because you realize you're not going to catch anything. And, you know, your, 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 your bait is stuck. Or you're just wasting time. The faster you can move on from that, the faster that you're able to um, potentially reel in a new fish or the faster you're able to, to get through something and, and, and get back to um, a period of growth. And I think a lot of operators, I think a lot of landlords, I think a lot of brokers are still clinging to what was in 2018 and 2019 in the beginning of 2020. And it's, it's hard to let go and look at it and say, this is a brand new world. This is a brand new situation. Whatever I was thinking, feeling, expecting at that point, I have to start objectively from scratch now and, and figure out what, what is the right thing to do moving forward. And I really believe that, that your guys' ability as a firm, and a lot of that I think is from you, to, and, and even this is communicating with the other executives, this is communicating with the board, to just say, look, whatever we thought is out the window, whatever expectations of, of this location moving forward are out the window. We we historically did well here. We want to be here. But you know what? The best thing right now, we got to just terminate this lease and get the F out. Right. So um, I, I think that's something that's that's huge. And I think the faster that you're able to do that, um, you know, the, the faster that you're able to get through these these troubling times and and. Look, I, I give you guys a lot of credit for being able to do that because I think that's a huge challenge. I agree. I think that's a, uh, it's a it's a monster challenge and it's something that, you know, there there is this in yoga and not to go, you know, super deep or all yogic on you, but there is this this idea when you when you start thinking about the different uh, niyamas and, 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 and the philosophy behind yoga, there is this there's a there's a significant one that's that's centered around non-attachment. Um, so there, that, you know, not that, not that we live and breathe by every mantra, um, and yogic philosophy, but that certainly is one that I've taken to heart. And there was a, a pretty good example of this, uh, when I was still at Blackstone, actually, you know, we launched a new, a new fund, um, in the, in the hedge fund side of the business. And, um, you know, it, it came out, you know, guns blazing, um, returns were off the charts, you know, upwards of high teens, low 20% year over year. Um, you know, just, just gangbusters, uh, that the team was growing, they were hiring, you know, really senior folks and, and sniping people from, from really successful hedge funds to kind of run this business, uh, all in, they probably sunk, you know, 
I would say somewhere between six to seven hundred million dollars into into building this fund, mostly from like the personnel uh, that they went and acquired. Uh, year two, the fund started to go south, and for no other reason than the market just changed, and 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 the winds of kind of that we were riding and sailing on certainly were not there anymore. Um, and I remember sitting in a meeting with with Tom Hill, who was the CEO at the time of of the Hedge Fund Solutions Group, and uh, he announced to the team pretty pretty quickly uh, that they were shutting the business down, and everyone was like, "Whoa, that came really really quickly." And he kind of sat there and he was kind of nodding his head, and he said, "You know, in this business and in every business, um, you know, it's not the ones who can ride the wave that are the most successful. It's the ones that know when to cut the bait and get the hell out of there." And it was it was one of those moments where everyone in the room kind of looked around, and you know, he just effectively cut you know, a, a 30 to 45 person team, um, you know, in, in a heartbeat. Um, obviously, that he, you know, retained a lot of that talent to, to run different parts of of the business. And, and, you know, it wasn't a complete loss. But the fact that, you know, they, he made that that decision was made in the in a span of, of a five to seven day period um, was a, certainly a, a learning, a very, very hard lesson to learn um, very quickly. So I agree. Uh, I think our team has done an amazing job of, of being able to, um, you know, figure out what we want to do and how we want to do it and to take, oops, sorry, and to take a very uh, analytical approach to that, um, but also not to be attached to things that, you know, yes, we, we, we are letting go of some leases that were certainly Did we lose you there for a second? Yeah, I think we lost Chris for a sec. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I the example of the um, you know hedge fund manager sort of uh, or CEO. Hey, Chris, we we lost you there for a second at the end. I I, I don't we uh, didn't hear some of the end of that. Oh shoot! Sorry. Um, no, good. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was just kind of reiterating the fact that we did have to make some tough decisions, uh, but decisions that we knew were the right ones for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, we really weren't in a position to, to kind of, you know, be in that Monday morning quarterback seat of like, you know, is this the right move? Why? How? Um, you know, you got to make those decisions and move on. And I think it's a really uh, it's a it's a huge testament to the team and the board here uh, at Y7 to, uh, you know, to obviously to make those decisions, but also to trust the judgment of, of our leadership team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you kind of a tough question. Um, obviously, this year, from a financial perspective, was a huge challenge. But you guys, as a concept, also faced some backlash kind of in the, in the face of what everything that was happening in June of last year and the BLM movement. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, – kind of the, the mindset of the team as, as these things are happening and, and how you were able to kind of reposition yourselves a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, we, much like a lot of other companies out there, uh, we, we certainly uh, bore some, some brunt of, you know, a movement that is continues today um, and for, for good reason. Um, you know, we had made some mistakes in our past, um, you know, and, and we weren't trying to, to, to hide that. Um, you know, in, in light of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and with our kind of emphasis around and, and kind of the way that the, this, this business was born out of, out of, you know, an appreciation and love for hip hop, though that turned into an appropriation of, of the culture. Um, and so we really, um, you know, it was important to us to, to take a really hard and draw a really hard line in that sand um, and really kind of own where, where we were wrong, um, not try to sugarcoat it, not try to hide it. Um, you know, no one in this day and age, everyone saves receipts. Um, and it's not one of those things um, that that was easy. And it, and it really obviously didn't, it, it hurt us in terms of, um, you know, in terms of us having to own it in a way that was true and, and still uh, in line with what's in the DNA of our brand. Um, so we had a, a number of all hands, um, you know, town halls, if you will, with with any and all employees, all, all, all 300 plus employees pre pre pandemic, 
were invited to have these, you know, you know, lay it out and, and you know, hash it out in, in real time. Um, you know, we want your feedback, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. Um, and so I think we, we much like we do with a lot of um, the bigger decisions here, uh, op operated from a, a place of transparency and just said, you know, this is this is where we've made mistakes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you our employees, um, both teachers and front desk and cleaners and, and everybody, um, if you have been wronged or you feel a certain way, then by all means, we want to know that because this is stuff that we want to change going forward. Um, and, and so, you know, that was certainly some, some really tough and, and, and harsh um, and critical feedback, but all feedback that's going towards us being a better company in this 2.0 uh, framework that we're building now. And I think, um, I think it's been very well received, most importantly from our from our internal staff, um, but it's also now kind of been recognized by by our um, and we've done we've made some some pretty large commitments um, around the empowerment and accessibility of yoga and of Y seven yoga more specifically um, to the underprivileged um, societies and so or parts of parts of society. Um, so here we are, you know. You know, almost a you know a year past making a lot of these commitments, and we're we're standing by them and still holding true. Um, you know, offering scholarships, um, doing a lot of uh, artist spotlights to you know promote up and coming uh, artists in certain communities, um, and 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 donating the proceeds from those classes directly to those communities as well. So yeah, it, it was a it was a certainly a, a very challenging year. But to your point, I think facing things and not shying away from challenging times, but, you know, kind of standing up and, and knowing that you're going to have to fight through that adversity um, certainly was something that we, we took to heart and uh, continue to take to heart to this day. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm not going to lie that that surprised me a little bit, you know, kind of as, as that was happening and, and um, you know, it, 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 took me off guard, but I, I was very, um, appreciative, I guess, and, and, um, impressed by the way that you guys, you know, were able to kind of, um, again, take a hard look at yourself, kind of scrap what you were doing before. I mean, the concept previous to that was, you know, so, um, you know, I don't want to say dependent on hip hop, but that really was sort of the genesis of it. Um, and, um, you know, being able to do it in a way now that that is, um, let's say, more cult culturally appropriate, I, I think is great. And it's not that music's changed, but has a little but it's more kind of about how um, how you guys are, are, are understanding your relationship, you know, to all the communities. So I think that's great. Um, one one last kind of question for you, and then we can kind of open it up a little bit more generally. But um, I wanted you to kind of talk about you know, we are in the month of June. Um, a bunch of the studios are, are now in the process of reopening. I wanted you to kind of talk about and get as specific as, as you can uh, or feel comfortable with, but, you know, kind of what's the global situation? How many studios remain? Um, what's the process of reopening been like? Um, you know, how much is that uh, costing to reopen? Um, and, you know, potentially where do you see things uh, going from here? Sure. Yeah. So we are going to, um, we'll be reopening roughly 50% of our locations. Um, so, you know, and we're going to do so in a way that, that is, um, all at once. Um, I think the one thing that we're really learning, um, you know, as we do this and as we start to, to reopen location on, on a location by location basis, um, is that it, it's, we're finding it pretty hard to, um, to, and I think that's a, a problem that many are facing in, in a lot of different industries right now. Um, and so, you know, while we, while we want to open all locations and do it very quickly, we're doing so in a much more strategic and methodical way, knowing that we, we, you know, that the, the talent, um, and the talent pool is there, but people either aren't comfortable coming back into us in, into, into work yet. Um, or they, uh, you know, they've moved away and, and we don't have kind of the same, the same base of, of people. Um, so I think that's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, actively taking a pretty proactive approach here. Um, you know, the other side of it is that there's a lot of work to be done in the studios. You know, they've been closed for a year. 
And, uh, you know, we have everything from obviously just the, the normal run of the mill cleaning, but also a ton of up, upkeep and, and upgrades, if you will, um, whether it's, you know, plexiglass around the, around the, you know, front desk, whether it's, you know, and I think we're, we're now getting a little bit away from, from a lot of the distancing, which is helpful. Um, in the first locations that we opened, um, you know, we were operating at a very, very limited capacity. Uh, we're now in a position where a lot of those restrictions are being eased a bit, uh, which is obviously very, very helpful given that all of our classes, especially in New York, have uh, very fortunately been been at capacity. Um, so, you know, it definitely bodes well for the the demand is certainly there, which is which is kind of at the genesis of everything else that's if that's there you know i'll take all the other issues and and we'll deal with those accordingly um you know it is certainly given all of the upgrades to your point it, it's definitely been a little bit more of an expensive process to to reopen each studio um the other side of that is is kind of figuring out uh the compensation coming coming into a, a, a different market where capacity levels are different um, you know, more cleaning, more time between classes, uh, days, literally full days uh, dedicated to deep cleans, uh, just making sure that we're putting uh, the client and the employee's safety on the forefront. Um, you know, we certainly are operating in, a, in a, just a different way. Um, so finding a, a making the economics work behind that is has been a little challenging. Um, and, and frankly, kind of uh, probably more frustrating for the folks um, coming back to us just because the pay structure has obviously shifted quite a bit as it has for the entire company. I mean, from the CEO and myself on down, uh, everyone has taken significant uh, pay cuts to continue to operate in a way that is, you know, that, that passes the common sense test. Um, so we're, we're really finding it um, while it was challenging and, and we're, you know, has been a, a process in and of itself where I think we're over the hump of, of making it something that's feasible and, and workable. And now it's just a matter of, of actually finding enough staff to, um, you know, fully book these, these studios out on a, on a, you know, call it six, five to six day, uh, a week, um, cadence. Um, Corey, uh, jumped up here real quick. Uh, or you have something to uh, something to add, a little flavor, perhaps? No, I, I and I apologize. I'm walking the street. If I hit the button and ask me to come up, that was accidental. I came in late. I always like to listen to the group speak. I always take away something, so I, I missed. Oh, you you, you you butt asked to come up. Is I, that what happened? I, I, I butt asked as I'm walking with it. My my, my <laughs> thumb my thumb and my butt must have asked for for speaking engagement. But I'll take a pass and keep listening. Thank you very much. Well. Corey, if you yes. got two seconds, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you handle sure. it? I, I'll try my so, best. So, Corey, you know, you're super active in New York City. That's your 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 uh, territory, your core competency, let's say. And, um, you know, given uh, that the bulk of Y7's portfolio is kind of in the city and, you know, we were dealing with a lot of uh, challenges related to, you know, boutique studios being closed. What are you seeing in terms of, um, you know, the, the permanent effect, let's say, of a lot of that, um, you know, COVID, uh, the COVID casualties, so to speak, um, in certain areas, you know, whether it's uh, flat iron or, 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 you know, meatpacking, whatever. I mean, are you seeing, um, are you seeing groups that, you know, uh, are just gone and, and no longer in the city? Can you, you know, if there's anything you can name, we'd, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, I, I don't have anything specific. I'll speak anecdotally. That um, and I don't. I happen not to have uh, any boutique fitness in the portfolios that I represent. But what I what I've spoken to people that that use the various facilities, sorry, uh, around the city, that they're getting back in, in, into full swing, slowly and steady. And again, that that's more that's anecdotal. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's all. I think it's all coming back. And quite frankly, I hear whispers of boutique fitness through brokerage community uh, are looking to be active. So I can't speak to, you know, clearly Y7 and, and some of the existing and how they restructured and redid leases. Um, but I, I think it, you know, it's very, it's still, it's starting to be more positive on a daily basis within, within that, um, 
space. The city, the city, uh, the city, the city as a whole is really, and you guys all know I'm, I'm, I'm Looney Tunes positive about New York City, but it's, but for real, it's, it's, it's really, really picking up the pace again. I think by, uh, after the summer and then certainly by Jan one, we're going to be as close to full swing as possible. That is so good to hear. (laughs) We, we've been, uh, we've been experiencing and seeing the same thing. So I, 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 I think, you know, we're, we're hearing the same stories. Um, I think all of that's really good. I, I, I think the future is really bright, uh, for certainly for Y7, but for any groups that have been able to kind of get, get through this, um, and, you know, w- without too much battle damage, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to, to, to grow and to move forward. Um, I will say, well, I'll say one last thing, though, you know, that what I, I am definitely, definitely seeing a tightening up from the landlord side as it relates to concessions. So I think yeah. that pe- people have to be prepared that the, the New York City marketplace in general is, is dealing in the what the landlords believe to be a normal way again i think there's been there's been a fair amount of rent relief and and rent restructuring and things like that but you know a lot of the concessions that we were talking about six nine months ago are for almost all intents and purposes out the window and so now it's back to normal you know quote unquote normal of concession period maybe a few dollars but you know wild free rent periods and percentage rents and things like that are almost all gone completely gone so just something to keep well, in mind from a tenant perspective. Yeah. I mean, and tell me if I'm crazy, but I think, you know, a lot of the landlords, you know, through the midst of the pandemic were just unwilling to, assuming they were in a position to, but unwilling to craft long-term deals with these major concessions, um, you know, unless they felt like they absolutely needed to. But um, they, they, a lot of them were waiting until things did normalize a little bit before they, they, uh, crafted any of these long-term deals because they didn't want to get locked into something, you know, they didn't, they, they weren't dropping their pants on the rent by any means. That, that's um, correct. They were, they were willing to play ball for the, for, you know, whether it was a year or two that everybody saw the immediate problem, but to a fair amount of the landlords, you know, if they discounted you throughout the term, they're like, wait a second, I'm not giving away a 10 or a 15 year discount. It's one thing to work early on, but Hey, I'm not prepared to go all out for the next 10 years. And so they stayed away from that, and and now obviously even more. Yeah. Um, Chris, I know I I only had you till nine thirty. Are you able to stay on for a little bit, or or do you have to go? No, I'm happy to stay on. If there's this is this is fun. I, I enjoy this kind of stuff. So I'm I'm all the cool. insight, and I appreciate some of that insight too, Corey. So yeah, I'm I'm all in. All right, then I I want to potentially pivot back, unless anyone has any questions for Chris about Y seven. Uh, yoga in general, fitness, if anyone has anything they want to step up, I'll, I'll give you a few seconds um, in case anybody wants to, to ask anything. Oh, Jason Ciano. I know him. I just want what to up, say, what, I just want to say what's up to, to everybody, but, but, but mostly Chris. I miss you, brother. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Jay? How you been, man? I've been good. I've been good. I, yeah, I agree with, obviously, everything that, that you guys have been talking about. And, you know, I was at an event last night in the meatpacking district that Aurora Capital put on um, in some of their vacant spaces. It was a uh, live performance through, through the streets in their, in their vacancies called Seven, Seven Deadly Sins. Um, and you know we went to catch before and after the performance and you know things felt pretty normal i mean definitely not the same uh you know not the same amount of foot traffic or or people out and about but man what a difference in in let's call it even just like four weeks time so uh things are really really definitely get uh you know coming back in my opinion a little bit quicker in in new york city than a lot of people anticipated so uh so it's really exciting well that is an absolute perfect segue because we started this uh this session with you know a quick explanation by russ about um 
seven deadly sins and kind of, you know, the activation of some of the vacant retail spaces. And uh, I just think that's so interesting, um, you know, to do it in an urban environment where um, you sort of have some non-contiguous space. You know, we've seen these kinds of things in shopping centers and malls and, you know, one uh, one space or two, but to do it in a way that you're kind of navigating a neighborhood, I think is somewhat unique. Um, and I would like to talk more about it. So we kind of got Russell's take a little bit earlier, Jay, and, and uh, I know you jumped in a few minutes late, so you didn't have the benefit of kind of hearing what he had to say. But um, I would love to, to hear kind of your feedback on that in general. And, um, you know, if there was anything particularly interesting that, that you took away from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously get very excited about how to activate uh, real estate. And I think that, you know, that's really one of the most important things that landlords are going to be up against. Uh, um, in this new kind of post-pandemic environment, I think we all agree that, you know, the physical store is here to stay. Um, but at the same time, we all know that we don't need, you know, 10 of the same stores selling the same yellow sweater. Uh, so I think it's going to become, um, it, it's p landlords, property owners, uh, tenants, advisors, brokers are all going to have to get a lot more creative to do, uh, their job really well. And, and you know, it really starts with omni-channel, which obviously is a word that gets thrown around uh, very loosely and, and, you know, we all hear it and kind of roll our eyes, but it is a reality where, you know, everything's kind of shifting between, you know, digital and physical. Um, so for me, you know, sitting in a fold-up chair in the middle of, you know, of, of the cobblestone streets of the meatpacking district, staring at storefronts as if they were stages was just really cool. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was so, you know, I like to think that I'm, I'm relatively creative and an out of the, out of the box thinker. And, you know, I was sitting there, um, you know, shoulder to shoulder with some, some really, you know, smart and, and, uh, you know, experienced real estate people. Um, and just kind of like in awe of what was going on around us. And it was, it was, it was done so professionally. It was all pulled together so well that, you know, I just had so much respect for everybody involved. And I'll be honest, I didn't even really realize until like the end of the performance, which was an hour and 45 minutes. I didn't really even realize that every, uh, performance that we went to was in a Aurora uh, capital vacancy. So I guess I, to be honest, I wasn't thinking that much about it, but it makes a lot of sense that it, it would be since they were hosting it. But that kind of, you know, when, when that was all tied together at the end and, and we got to, you know, get a little of the backstory from Jared Epstein, you know, it, it was like, wow, man, you know, this is, this is a very effective and, and unique way to get a lot of real estate people together thinking about your uh, your space, which definitely was not the intention of the overall you know partnership, uh, but it was the intention, I'm sure, of the you know of the um, kind of uh, opening performance, uh, which was you know in, invite only, uh, and, and the bulk of the audience seemed to be uh, you know pretty high level real estate folks. So I just thought it was great all the way around. And I think that, you know, we're, we all now have to think more that way. Uh, the, the, you know, the cut and dry uh, things that have always been done are just not going to be relevant, you know, much moving forward. There's a lot of noise out there and you got to cut through it. Yeah, I completely agree. I was, I, I, you, we talked about it obviously at Locks. We were together. I thought it was amazing. But as I've had time to you know, digest it a little more, you know, all you hear so much about experiential retail, experiential retail, right? Like all this, it's all it's the buzzwords. What everyone's talking about, I'm sorry, fuck job about it. Um, but like the whole district kind of feels, I'm not talking in a cheesy way. It's like all very interconnected. It's like a outdoor mall, outdoor shopping center. It's not. It's much cooler than that. But it's the best way to describe it for anyone that's not have has not been there enough in New York City. Um, 
but it was a way for not only to lease spaces, right? But then also really give customers a reason to come there and go to the restaurants, get drinks, pop into a store after, after doing something super cool and exciting and getting your brain thinking and like really being fulfilling intellectually. And then you can go do retail therapy or get a drink or eat. So I don't know how the setting is unique, right? So not every shopping center or mall or retail setting is going to look like that. But if you could replicate that on a smaller scale, landlords, brokers, whoever, it's going to drive traffic. It's going to bring people there either to go to your stores, go to your restaurants or lease your space. So it's, I think it's, it has to happen because now I'm excited about that market. I'm excited about the stores we saw, you know, it just got my juices flowing. Yeah, I think, and, and just to tie, you know, tie in Y7, like, I, you know, the way that I, I think about, first off, you know, companies need to be more human today, right? And, and you know, Y7 has the benefit of uh, an amazing culture and just being a very cool uh, concept. And, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting, just the, you know, the evolution of everything that's been going on as a result of the pandemic. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, I have the benefit of other things I'm involved in, like Hello Jenny, which are really, you know, all about like la- everything that went on last night with with that performance is so hello jenny you know which is why it re- it really like resonates with me the importance of approaching real estate differently. but you know what's cool is like i feel like for like like y7 being a culture and a brand and a movement you know that that shows up as a fitness studio you know like can can create something where you know the the instructors and and the people involved in the company can do other things that kind of shine a light on what y7 stands for you know and i think that that's really um what does that mean i mean that's you know interesting collaborations and partnerships with you know whether it's uh you know like-minded clothing brands or whatever uh, or it could be, you know, something as cool as, you know, putting on some sort of performance, you know, because all of those, the, all of the, the instructors in boutique fitness are very talented, passionate people. And, you know, it's just, it kind of, the, the possibilities are endless, you know, to how to, how to, uh, you know, be more human as an organization and how to get people to think about what you stand for and who you are and and separating it from you know exactly what they experience within those four walls let me ask you a question i don't know if you guys got the answer to this but i'm assuming you have some sense of it even if you didn't um we were talking at the beginning about how um you know it was kind of a a natural synergy let's say between this theater group that's looking to be able to perform and and do performances both from probably a a financial perspective, but also, um, you know, performers love to perform. Um, what do you think was the, um, you know, financial responsibility from Aurora Capital in terms of um, putting this on? Is it is it just donating the spaces and um, that's it? Are they, you know, uh, are they investing any money in it? Are they getting a percentage of ticket sales? If you have any background, because I find these these sorts of partnerships very interesting um, because I would say sort of more often than not there it's not a lot of money coming out of pocket so I'm kind of curious to see if that's the case Russ or Jay yeah I, I don't get the sense that I, I would imagine uh, if you actually look at my insta story you'll see the person who the director who put everything together uh, at the tail end of the performance, doing a champagne toast and kind of talking about it, I he was just thanking Aurora for uh, for allowing them to take the space for free. Yeah, I so, don't think they, I don't think they got charged anything, but I know they made. I forgot the figure, but Jared, it was a big number that they made in like a day of selling tickets. And I feel like Jared's perspective or his company's perspective was to give back to the community and kind of get theater back on its feet. And give this as a launching point. So, 
Yeah, and I mean, don't, they're, don't they're imagine the press on, is pretty good too. Obviously, yeah, so. I think you know they're sitting on a bunch of vacant space that you know they have activity on, so it's not all available. But um, you know, think about the think about the ripple effect of all of the noise that this performance is going to make. Uh, he was talking about a three-page spread, I think. In the was it was it the uh, the um, in one of the big, you know, newspapers for today. In the Times like, today. Oh, in the I Times today, yeah. yeah so, I mean, it's so, you know, it, exactly. So, and that, now you have all the foot traffic, you know, granted, they have the benefit of owning, you know, the majority of this entire section of New York City. So, you know, any eyeballs that are, you know, and, and it's, it's also to Russell's point earlier, it's really cool that they're giving people who maybe don't spend time in the meatpacking district a reason to go there um and then it's also outdoors right so it's a it's a very comfortable safe environment and you know i'll tell you what when the show started at eight o'clock we were sitting down watching like the sunset you know uh, in the meatpacking district um and it was just a really really cool vibe it was it was very well done and it was the type of thing where you could you know get as immersed in what was going on or kind of like you know stand up in the back and have one of your headphones off your ear and kind of chat with somebody you know what i mean so it was like it was very cool it was just a a great experience that you know i would highly suggest uh you know people check out yeah, I mean, this wasn't like a, a high school musical. This was real Broadway, real theater. I mean, all the sets were designed by David Rockwell. It was legit. So I agree well, with Jay. If you can get that, tickets, you should go. It was awesome. That's sort of my point, right? Like when we're talking about, you know, Jay, uh, you saying earlier, like this is landlords have to start getting very mindful of, and if they're not already, they're probably behind the eight ball, but really mindful of how they're, programming spaces, activating spaces, um, you know, it, it's, it's less the mindset of I'm going to sit back and clip coupons every month and more the mindset of I have an asset that I need to um, continue to activate and make sure it's relevant. And, you know, some of that's marketing dollars, but there are things like this where you were literally just um, you know, donating space for a period of time. You know, I, I think Russ said earlier, it's maybe running for five weeks initially. It, it's not costing you anything, right? I mean, in, in the world of real estate, five weeks goes by in the blink of an eye. But all of the press that comes from this, all of the eyeballs that come from this, all of the um, tangential uh, retail shopping and, and uh, you know, dining that gets done because people are in the area helps your tenants, which helps you in the long run. So, you know, when you're thinking about what this takes to, to really activate your spaces in, in a real way, it's about creativity and bringing in the right partners. Um, and a lot of that's mental effort and energy, but it's usually not a lot of money, uh, if any at all. So, you know, when, when you're a broker talking to landlords about their projects and how to do these things, um, I, I find it's my responsibility to kind of be on the forefront of these things and be able to, to bring creative ideas to the table. Um, doesn't mean that, that we're always the one executing those things, but, you know, certainly can for a fee. Um, on the other side of things, if you're a landlord and you own a retail property, I, I think this is just something that that's going to become almost necessary moving forward. Um, it's different if you've got, you know, 5,000 square feet at the base of a, of an office building or something. And that's all you have. You're not really activating it, but you know, in the case where you've got, um, you know, shopping centers with vacancy, if you've got a bunch of buildings in a neighborhood, I mean, these are the kinds of things that moving forward are in my opinion, non-negotiable. If you want to, you know, have valuable real estate, it's beyond just having the dirt. It's about making sure that the tenants that are in your project are able to do the sales to sustain the kind of rents that you want. And by the way, if their sales go up 20%, you can probably jack up your rent uh, a, a pretty good amount moving forward as well. So, you know, there's a, a direct correlation. We've talked about this before, but there's a direct correlation in retail between the sales that the tenant is doing and what rent they can pay. Uh, and being mindful of that as of the landlord, excuse me, as the landlord, I think is super important. Yeah, I think it's also creating experiences, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, why should, 
if they're, let's just assume for a second that, you know, we're not talking about New York City. Let's, let's assume that we're talking about anywhere USA and there's, you know, four different major shopping centers on four corners and, you know, nice big lifestyle centers that all have a similar tenant mix. You know, at the end of the day, which, where are the tenants and the community going to prefer to go? And if it, all things are equal, aside from the programming and the, you know, other things that are, you know, the, the, the art, the murals, the activations of space, the, you know, the little splash pads for, for, you know, kids to play around in, you know, without that stuff, it's kind of like, you know, just a very vanilla way to look at real estate, which I think, you know, ultimately, like you saw so many companies like Kimco pivot really fast during the pandemic with curbside. I think they did a great job. They're always uh, on the cutting edge of moving quickly and figuring out ways to uh, to benefit the consumer. Right. Because at the end of the day, I think if you get the community to hang out at the at the the property, you're going to increase sales for the tenants. You're, you're going to, you know, driving traffic and, and, and having uh, people at your place is, is, is the beginning of the rest of the process, right? Like at any company um, that is looking at real estate, I think today is, is looking at it through a different lens and those different things that landlords are able and willing to do and, and, and you know, will invest time and energy and resources uh, into, I think are gonna, you know, th that's gonna be the difference maker uh, for sure. I mean, I think it, it has been for a long time, but I think it's only be gonna become uh, more important now. That's well said. Um, I'm gonna begin to kind of wrap this up for today. This has been uh, This Week in Retail with Sabre Advisors. Uh, I wanna thank Chris Woods for joining us um, you know, Chris, I, I, I think that, uh, obviously the future is very bright for Y7 and we're, we're super excited about what that means. Um, and I think they're lucky to kind of, you know, have you, uh, uh, you know, at the helm of the ship, so to speak. So, um, thank you very much for being a part of this and jumping on and, you know, feel free to join us in the future. No, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was, this was fun and obviously love all of the, you know, the insights and the beta on, on what's going on and what we see as kind of trends in the market. And I think, you know, especially now when, as, as we see a lot of things evolving and moving in different directions and a lot of this creativity gets me all pumped up knowing that, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, to Jay's point about making how experiential things are turning, um, you know, that's what, that's what kind of our brand was built on. And so, you know, hearing that this is kind of the wave of, of the next wave of this, of the future, um, you know, is super, super exciting. So yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to join and, and thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks everybody. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next Thank week. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Bud. See you later, brother. Likewise.